0: CHAPTER Five, PART Three, OF THE LIFE AND LETTERS OF ELIZABETH PRENTICE BY GEORGE PRENTICE. THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY TERESA Downey. The year 1853 was passed quietly and in better health. In the early summer she made a delightful visit at the island near West Point, the home of the author of The Wide, Wide World. She was warmly attached to Miss Warner and her sister, and hardly less so to their father and aunt whose presence then adored that pleasant home with so much light and sweetness early in august she went with her husband and child to white lake sullivan county new york where in company with several families from the mercer street church she spent six weeks in breathing the pure country air and in healthful outdoor exercise about the middle of october she was greatly distressed by the sudden death of the young cousin already mentioned who was staying with her during her husband's absence, on a visit to New Bedford. Miss Shipman was a bright, attractive girl, and enthusiastic in her devotion to Mrs. Prentice. The latter, in a letter to her husband dated Saturday morning, October fifteenth, 1853, writes, I imagine you enjoying this fine morning, and can't rejoice enough that you are having such weather. A. is bright and well, and is playing in her baby-house and singing. Louise is still quite sick and I see no prospect of her not remaining so for some time. The morning after you left, I thought to be sure she had the smallpox. The doctor, however, calls it a rash. It makes her look dreadfully and feel dreadfully. She gets hardly a moment of sleep and takes next to no nourishment. Arrowroot is all the doctor allows. He comes twice a day and seems very kind and full of compassion. She crawled down this morning to the nursery and seems to be asleep now. Mrs. Bull very kindly offered to come and do anything if Louise should need it, but I do not think she will be sick enough for that. I feel well and able to do all that is necessary. The last proof-sheets came last night, so that job is off my hands. And now, darling, I can't tell you how much I miss you. I never missed you more in my life, if as much. I hope you are having a nice visit. Give my love to Captain and Mrs. Gibbs and all of our friends. Your most loving little wife. On the following Wednesday, October 19th, she writes to her husband's mother. You will be shocked to hear that Louisa Shipman died on Sunday night and was buried yesterday. Her disease was spotted fever of the most malignant character, enraged with great fury. She dropped away most unexpectedly to us before I had known five minutes that she was in danger, and I came near to being entirely alone with her. Dr. M. happened to be here, and also her mother-in-law but I had been alone in the house with her all day. It is a dreadful shock to us all, and I feel perfectly stupefied. George got home in time for the funeral, but Dr. Skinner performed the services. Anna will go home to-morrow and tell you all about it. She and Mr. S. slept away as the upper part of the house is airing, and tonight they will sleep at Professor Smith's." The case was even more fearful than she supposed while writing this letter. Upon her describing it to Dr. Buck, who called a few hours later, he exclaimed, "'Why, it was a malignant smallpox! You must all be vaccinated instantly, and have the bedding and house disinfected.' This was done, but it was too late. Her little daughter had the disease, though in a mild form, and one of her brothers, who was passing the autumn with her, had it so severely as barely to escape with his life. She herself became a nurse to them both, and passed the next two months quarantined within her own walls. To her husband's mother she wrote, I am not allowed to see anyone. I am very lonesome, and hope Anna will write and tell me every little thing about you all. The scenes I have lately passed through make me tremble when I think what a fatal malady lurks in every corner of our house. And speaking after the manner of men, does it not seem almost incredible that this child, watched from her birth like the apple of our eyes, should yet fall into the jaws of this loathsome disease. I see more and more that parents must leave their children to Providence. In the early part of this year, Mrs. Prentice wrote Little Susie's Six Birthdays, the book that has given so much delight to tens of thousands of little children, wherever the English tongue is spoken. Like most of her books, it was an inspiration, and was composed with the utmost rapidity she read the different chapters as they were written to her husband child and brother who all with one voice expressed their admiration in about ten days the work was finished the manuscript was in a clear delicate hand and without erasure upon its publication it was at once recognized as a production of real genius inimitable in its kind and neither the popular verdict nor the verdict of the children as to its merits has ever changed Mrs. Prentice, as has been stated already, began to write for the press at an early age, but from the time of her going to Richmond, till 1853, a period of thirteen years, her pen was well-nigh idle, except in the way of correspondence. When, therefore, she gave herself again to literary labour, it was with a largely increased fund of knowledge and experience upon which to draw. These thirteen years had taught her rich lessons, both in literature and in life. They had been especially fruitful in revealing to her the heart of childhood and quickening her sympathy with its joys and sorrows, and all these lessons prepared her to write little Susie's Six Birthdays and the other Susie books. The year eighteen fifty four was marked by the birth of her fourth child and by the publication of The Flower of the Family. This work was received with great favor, both at home and abroad. It was soon translated into French under the title. La Fleur de la Famille, and later into German under the title Die Perle der Familie. In both languages it received the warmest praise. In a letter to her friend Mrs. Clark of Portland, she thus refers to this book I long to have it doing good. I never had such desires about anything in my life, and I never sat down to write without first praying that I might not be suffered to write anything that would do harm, and that on the contrary, I might be taught to say what would do good and it has been a great comfort to me that every word of praise i have ever received from others concerning it has been it will do good and this i have had from so many sources that amid much trial and sickness ever since its publication i have had rays of sunshine creeping in now and then to cheer and sustain me to the same friend just bereft of her two children she writes a few months later is it possible is it possible that you are made childless i feel distressed for you my dear friend i long to fly to you and weep with you it seems as if i must say or do something to comfort you but god only can help you now and how thankful i am for a throne of grace and power where i can commend you again and again to him who doeth all things well i never realize my own affliction in the loss of my children as i do when death enters the house of a friend then I feel that I can't have it so. But why should I think I know better than my divine master what is good for me, or good for those I love? Dear Carrie, trust that this hour of sorrow you have with you, that presence before which alone sorrow and sighing flee away. God is left. Christ is left. Sickness, accident, death cannot touch you here. Is this not a blissful thought? As I sit at my desk, my eye is attracted by the row of books before me, and what a comment on life are their very titles—Songs in the Night, Light on Little Graves, The Night of Weeping, The Death of Little Children, The Folded Lamb, The Broken Bud. These have strayed, one by one, into my small enclosure, to speak, peradventure, a word in season unto my weariness. And yet, dear Carrie, This is not all of life. You and I have tasted some of its highest joys as well as its deepest sorrows, and it has in reserve for us only just what is best for us. May sorrow bring us both nearer to Christ. I can almost fancy my little Eddie has taken your little Mamie by the hand and led her to the bosom of Jesus. How strange our children, our own little infants, have seen Him in His glory, whom we are only yet longing for and struggling towards. If it will not frighten you to own a Unitarian book, there is one called Christian Consolation by Rev. A. P. Peabody that I think you would find very profitable. I see nothing or next to nothing Unitarian in it. While it is full of rich, holy experience, one sermon on contingent events and providence touches your case exactly. No event of special importance marked the year eighteen fifty five. She spent the month of July among her friends in Portland, and the next six weeks at the Ocean House on Cape Elizabeth. This was one of her favorite places of rest. She never tired of watching the waves and their multitudinous laughter, of listening to the roar of breakers, or climbing the rocks and wandering along the shore in quest of shells and sea grasses. In gathering and pressing the latter, she passed many a happy hour. In August of this year appeared one of her best children's books, Henry and Bessie, or What They Did in the Country. End of chapter 5, part three of the life and letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Recording by Teresa Downey.